You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome, welcome everybody. This is episode 44 of Cards and Cubes. We are your hosts. I'm Trevor. I'm Christo. Today we're going to talk about some fun, fun video games. Video games? You mean board games? Oh, is that what this show's about? Uh, yeah, guess, board games. <laughs> tabletop, I guess, games. Technically, yes. they're tabletop because not all games we play have boards. Actually, I've not many lately, uh, but yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> yep, preview. Yeah. Now, we will be talking about some tabletop games. Um, today, we'll first start out with uh, games we've been playing lately. We'll uh, then dive into our topic for the day, which is teaching board games. And then we'll wrap up with some games on the horizon. But first, Christo, you know what time it is. Trivia time, my favorite. Yes, I've been, it is. I've been waiting for this for, for two weeks. I just can't wait. Yes, it is the uh, the bi-weekly Does Christo Get to Stay on the Podcast <laughs> trivia. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how this turned the podcast intro turned into a trivia time for me. But sure. Yep. Yeah, well. Because I look up the trivia, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So wh- whenever you feel like looking up the trivia, we can we can put the shoe on the other foot. But yeah, for yeah. now, let's decide your fate. Okay. So, are you familiar with Board Game Geek? Mm, I've never even heard of it before. <laughs> okay. Well, it's this website where you can kinda, order... Kind of like, like Reiner Knizia, actually. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, it's exactly the same. I've never heard of that uh, of that website. I have no idea what it is. Oh, it's a website. Yeah, well, BoardGameGeek.com is in a site where you could exclusively created for the purpose of ordering marshmallow peeps. And also looking uh, at board games. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some component that you can order from the promo store that they have that's marshmallow peeps. I'm going to have to go look at that after custom, the show. <laughs> custom custom Marshmallow Peeps upgrade. Actually, that's a good question. Is there a Marshmallow Peeps game? Uh, I don't know, actually. No, I haven't researched that area of board gaming in particular. All right, well, add that, <laughs> add that, list, to, add that to your list of research for, the, for yeah. next week. Uh, all right. Well, today the, the trivia is going to be on the section of the site dedicated to board game mechanics mm-hmm. um as you know there yes as you know this is your favorite part of the website there are i mean there are lots and lots of mechanics out there um board game geek has a list of a certain number and today's trivia question is how many board game mechanics does board game think board game geek think there are uh actually there's two sections because i use that feature actually quite a bit because i do the advanced search and uh when brandon says like oh i don't know of any game which is is a 10 on board game geek there's actually like a lot of games which are 10 and you find them using the advanced search usually (laughs) and usually they have like less than 10 ratings so it's like the designer rated their own game a 10 or something uh so you're the formula for getting a 
game that rated 10 is to make it not very popular and then only give it to your friends <laughs> yeah that's like the average what is it uh rating though not the rank which the rank is where they attempt to like filter those out and they have like some special formula special sauce formula that pushes only like popular ish games but like it's still supposedly fair for smaller games anyway uh there's we actually had a discussion about that uh, about how uh, board game geek in general the website but uh like i say i use the advanced feature quite a bit sometimes to like make top tens or just kind of make sure i'm not forgetting any games that i've played of a particular mechanic or something so like search by year search by mechanic so there's two things there are board game categories which is things like family games dexterity games and board game mechanics which is like deck building in like area control or whatever and both of them are actually really large. Um, I can picture them in my head if I had to guess. Like, you, I don't know. You have to guess within 15 of the correct. Number. Yeah, that's really tough. I know Board BGG, I think, sourced them in like three columns, at least on my desktop. And there's like two pages of them. I don't know. If I, won't, if, if I were to guess, I'd guess something like maybe like how many lines are on a page. Like Fifty, so a hundred three. That's like too large. I don't know. Maybe I'll look dumb, but I'll say something actually like two fifty or something. <clears throat> is that like way too large? It's not way too large, but it is too it's large. It's pretty large. Okay, <laughs> uh, well, one fifty. It shouldn't be because there's actually a lot. Actually, there's like I say, there's two pages of them. Uh, yeah. So, and this is kind of a tricky question, right? Because the defining a category of mechanics is all up to who's defining it right so i think that the the categories on bgg were created at least in part or in collaboration with jeff engelstein a designer um and so board game geek lists 182 yeah i wasn't that uh, far off mechanics right yeah i didn't think you were too far off um but yeah that's a lot of that's a lot of uh a lot of mechanics and some of these mechanics i'm looking through i can't you know i don't know even know if i uh <laughs> if i've played a game in some of these these what mechanics are some of them i don't know i'm not uh, on the website let's see there Just are a random random mechanic you've never heard of static capture static capture it's weird uh there's like a uh, bunch secret of secret unit game. development e yeah yeah that that i was gonna say there's a bunch of like chip yeah. pool terms and like coin wargaming kind of terms that we usually don't look at and i think uh that's where you'll see a lot of them like secret unit deployment or something uh Player anyway, elimination yeah. is a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My no, favorite it's kind of funny, mechanic. Actually, they have take that. They have catch the leader. They have actually a, a quite a few. Uh, recipe fulfillment isn't, or contract fulfillment, I think, isn't. Uh, there were actually some quite notable ones that I was thinking They do have about. contracts, but not contract fulfillment. Oh, contract still kind of hits. Yeah. yeah, and that's, that's, that's something I've noticed close. about these categories is that sometimes they're maybe defined broadly um, to encompass things that maybe you would think of as subcategories. I actually yeah. um, noticed this when we were t back when we were talking about... Um, deck building the category is actually deck bag and pool building so all of those things are lumped together in the same category on, yep. on bgg 
But. Yeah, there's also the issue of, for example, uh, speaking of which, another preview of what we're going to talk about, I've been looking at trick-taking games in particular, uh, not by searching by advanced whatever, but clicking on the category, and junk art keeps popping up, which every time makes me laugh because it's like not a trick-taking game by any means. There is a trick-taking game like module one of ten, but the game is definitely like a dexterity stacking game. So I just think it's kind of funny when it pops up every time. So I'm like, just because uh, mechanic is some small part of a game, should it be part of the game list of mechanics? And where do you cut the line? And I don't know. But anyway, yeah, there's a lot of mechanics out there, to your point. Yeah, and arguably you could create more cat more categories or even probably condense some of these categories together just based on how you define things. But I, I always think that these lists are kind of interesting to look at just to see how things are defined. I like I like categorizing things and organizing yep. and that type of stuff. So it's kind of cool to look at. Also, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can see, but like uh, the, the funny, well, I was laughing at, laughing at Dice Town because I'm not sure if it's categorized correctly. It's, it was categorized as Catch the Leader which I think should be take that. So like I was kind of thinking, what is the difference between catch the leader and take that? They kind of do the same thing. The assumption is that catch the leader, kind of the game itself uh, is in, pushes people behind the leader towards them. But I think in Dice Town is definitely not like that. I think it should be basically take that. I just thought it was funny, like after our horrible take that filled game that it's categorized as catch the leader. Yeah, <laughs> so that's interesting. It sounds take very that. like political and, <laughs> and nice and like, oh, it's just catch the leader. It's not yeah. that bad. That's interesting because take that is a category. Yeah. So I wonder why they <laughs> why they didn't put that game in there because there's definitely take that in there. Yep. Yeah, it should be take that and not catch the leader, even though, like I say, they accomplish kind of the same thing in that game. But yeah. anyway, yeah, it's kind of I fun. just uh, checked and game elimination is not a mechanic, so unfortunately I can't put Dice Town on <laughs> Game <this>. elimination. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's today's trivia. Uh, so I think 180 you did exactly? Fun. 185, uh, th did you say? I think it was 182 was the number. 182, cool, sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on into games played. So the sneak preview of the previous section was that, well, at least I'm going to be talking about quite a few trick-taking games because the trick-taking uh, game Bonanza continues and uh, because some it thur Thursdays kind of turned into our kind of card game day or something uh, with Brandon. So I've played a couple of trick-taking games which are new relatively well. One of them is actually brand new, the other one isn't. And I have some impressions from them. So the first one is the Bottle Imp. Uh, the Bottle Imp is kind of, um, I'd say, an unconventional trick-taking game in a way. Uh, it's it is it does follow regular trick-taking rules as far as like you have to. I guess the minimum requirement for trick-taking is there's a hand of card that cards that goes around the table and you have to follow suit usually so within that there's actually been a lot of implementations of some really weird ideas uh, there have been attempts to make like a trick-taking uh, driving mechanic for a board game actually i saw a war game which was like 
two hours long or something playtime with trick taking. Uh, trick -taking. <laughs> oh my! Uh, the tricks are like units, so you deploy like submarines and whatever, and you fight like a larger war game or something. I don't know how well it works in practice, but I was like, "What the heck?" <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, the bottle lamp is does does kind of feel standard in a way, but it has a really weird twist, as usual with um, most trick taking games nowadays. Nowadays. Uh, the twist is that the highest card doesn't always win. The story is, I think there's a folk tale or something from Ireland, or I actually should probably look it up and kind of read it. But I kind of glanced at it really quickly in passing. I think it's a story where uh, there's uh, a lamp or something or whatever, it's some kind of an object, it's a bottle actually, gosh, it's bottle imp, uh, with an imp inside, which is magical and fulfills wishes, but um, I think the last owner like gets dies or something or something horrible happens to them and you have to keep selling it for a lower and lower price. So the theme supposedly fits like really well with the game because the the deck is like one through 40 or something uh, number and the bottle imp starts at 19. So it's exactly in the middle. So if you play a card which is lower than the bottle imp, uh, the highest card under the bottle imp takes it so for example if someone plays like 36 they think they've played a really high card and they're winning and whatever uh some, someone plays like 24 but someone plays 18 and it's one under the bottle imp so that's like actually the best card it beats the 40 or any high value uh the twist is also that whoever holds the bottle imp at the end of the round scores negative points actually because there's a card exchange kind of like one left one right one to the middle and they pick up the cards in the middle and they have negative points on them so kind of um i'd say kind of avoid the horrible thing happening to you and try to get points kind of a game usually in trick-taking games well a lot of them are just kind of positive and you just try to get the most uh, but this one does does have the twist of like not only do you just completely destroy the points you've taken so if you have a really good hand like you get nothing but also you get negative points um yeah kind of kind of an interesting twist on uh, trick taking i'm actually still not sure i like it my impressions were kind of hesitant and still i'm still kind of trying to find out if i like it and i've played it like three times now um supposedly actually the surprising thing for me is bgg recommends three players we actually played a three-player game last week and i did not like it as much as four i think four is the best number as with most of these games uh anyway trevor played it as well uh what did you think about it i don't i know you're not a super huge fan of trick taking and we keep putting you through these <laughs> weird uh weird experiments one of yeah. which is this so you, you guys are taking me to some dark places yep <laughs> no um so I actually, I don't know, I'm kind of like on a on a little bit of a journey here, trying to like soul search and find out, do I actually like trick-taking games? Because I always, <laughs> I always liked the concept of these games. And, you know, when you're sitting here describing Bottle Imp, I think, oh, that sounds cool. It's trick-taking with a twist, and it's cool that you can kind of finesse it a bit or maybe force it by playing a lower card and steal it from, so, you know, so the, the, the top, the highest card doesn't always win. Um, and so on paper, these games sound really cool. And then for whatever reason, I play it and it just kind of doesn't sit right. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out why that is. Maybe it's, 
because I feel like it's very easy to lose control in trick-taking games in general. Um, and so I think maybe I just need to come back to these games and just kind of fix my mindset and not be so grumpy about them. Um, but I actually think that Bottle Imp is a neat system. I think if you like trick-taking games with, with twists like this, it, it will be an enjoyable game for you. Um, I think that the having the adjustable uh, bottle number is kind of cool, actually. Price, I guess, is what it yeah, really represents. Like the I price. guess the price of the bottle, imp, and it, it creates an interesting decision point of when do I cause that to shift down, and how far should it shift down? Because if you shift it way too far down, then you're kind of just stuck with it, and it's going to end. Um, it's going to end your game, and you're going to take all the negative points. Um, well, I should say one round doesn't completely end your game. Like you can recover from a bad round. It's not like you score minus 70 or something. Right. Usually you score like minus 15. But it is it is an empty round while someone else gets usually like 20, 30 or something. So it's kind of annoying, yeah. Yeah, and I do like that you're passing cards in this because that helps uh, at least give the impression that you have some control <laughs> <laughs> over, um, you know, potentially maybe fixing some bad parts about your hand, but then you could just get past equally as bad cards or like the same card, but one number lower or something. So there's, there's not a ton of control, but I, I do think that the system for bottle imp is, is neat, but I'm sort of in the same camp as you as well, maybe to a more existential degree. I'm, I'm trying to figure <laughs> out if I like trick taking games in general. And, and this game, I think I liked playing it, even though I, had a pretty bad time with it but um you know I, I think i'd play it again yeah yeah the game kind of without going into too much detail about strategy and stuff i will kind of leave that for you to discover uh it does feel to me like a little bit out of control out of your control and i really kind of hate that feeling in games and that's why it's not like a super hit for me i think because the mechanic is basically well first of all the card exchange uh, you, if you are not holding the one and two, you're probably going to receive them, which kind of, uh, I don't know, to me kind of doesn't. Sometimes people exchange weird cards to try to like clear a suit so they can slough easier or something. Uh, that's an interesting thing. But usually, like, if you're not holding the bad cards, you're basically going to get them. And actually, the funny thing is they're not supposed to be technically bad, which is kind of the meta around the game, which is another thing which I'm not sure I appreciate, is, like, the game kind of rely relies on everyone playing uh, correctly, so to speak, or follow some kind of meta rules about... Uh, because, like I say, if you play the 18, uh, you are winning, and you're lowering the price, though, so you might end up with the bottle limp at the end of the round and get the negative points. Uh, but that also enables the person with the one to play their card. So basically, if you're leading, in theory, you should be safe or relatively safe playing a one because someone wants to win the trick and win points and the one actually has a lot of points on it. I don't know if it has enough, maybe. Maybe it needs to have more points. But like in theory, they should save you from basically being guaranteed the bottle imp uh, because they want positive points. Uh, in practice, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Maybe I don't have, uh, we don't have like a friendly group or something that's supposed to be nice to each other or whatever. But like that nope. kind of... <laughs> That kind of uh, that kind of a mechanic where like 
your fate is in the hands of other players so much he is kind of not doesn't feel great to me another game which i really hate because of that is bonanza i feel like like you don't really do anything other players play your game and <laughs> anyway. that game triggers me <laughs> yeah it definitely actually does trigger me as well for the same reason like i feel like i'm i don't have control over how what happens to me the entire control is the other three people or however many are playing playing uh so like basically it's kind of like well be nice to me and i win or don't be nice to me and i die yeah so, when you're playing with a group of wonderfully selfish euro gamers <laughs> i think <laughs> i just don't think that that really works yeah. with the with the dynamic so anyway uh the in theory the system is really cool though and i think it could work uh but it's it's very kind of weird and kind of out there it feels a little a little strange so i think if you are tired of the traditional stuff that might be worth looking into is uh, the bottle imp i think it's kind of fun and actually, speaking of which, another game which I'm just going to quickly mention because Trevor liked it a lot. Just kidding. I, I think he <laughs> pretty much hated it. But I think it's really another cool system is Indulgence. Uh, it's a remake of a game from like 1990. 1988 i think we called like dragon master and then uh which was itself a remake of a 1966 game so actually a lot of these Kudeta. games are uh yeah Kudeta. uh a lot of these games are actually remakes of older games where they uh for example the bottle imps from 98 as well so they also are kind of uh rough around the edges because they're remnants of that age when like uh bad things happening to people was funny and okay i guess <laughs> <laughs> like in board gaming pre 2000 or something. Yes, that was the origin of the board game mechanic. Uh, player elimination <laughs> yeah uh well indulgence doesn't have player elimination but it's another game which kind of uh maybe shows its age and it's kind of rough around the edges but i think it's a really fascinating system uh the trick-taking game of that game is extremely simple basically you have uh one through nine and four suits and there's not even a trump or anything it's just like super basic uh trick-taking just ridiculously basic. Uh, what makes the game interesting is uh, there's uh, shifting goals with that game. So there's these decrees or whatever uh, that players choose in kind of if you're dealing meaning you are dealing the hand or something you're the ruler and you choose one of the decrees which is something like don't collect any twos or threes in particular like values twos or threes uh, or don't collect any of the green cards or whatever uh, and then the other players can challenge that basically by saying I will do the exact opposite. So I will collect all the twos or threes or all the green cards uh, based on what you choose. So you kind of choose something and it goes around the table. And if everyone's like, well, I'm okay with that, then we play the hand. If not, someone is, uh, it's wrapped in this weird theme of like, um, in the, the, the ruler makes a decree. And if you're rebelling against it, you're sinning. And actually you get an indulgence, indulgence ring, which is supposed to be like a, 
represents your advantage of being able to sin or something because you have money or whatever. Uh, basically, the ring makes one card a 10, so you, it can save you from losing a trick. Because usually if you're sinning, you have to collect like all of something, which basically it's like you have a really good hand, a uh, high hand, I guess you should say. Because uh, the, the, the terms get a little weird because a good hand can be a bad hand depending on if you're, if you're playing the degree or the sin. So like you kind of check your hand and try to figure it out. Uh, sounds really cool in theory, um, but in practice it is prone to, uh, first of all, there's no exchanging, so you're, you're stuck with your hand. Uh, it is prone to kind of when you're the ruler, you want kind of a really low hand because you don't want to collect any tricks because you get payments which is connected with, like the point exchanges are based on these decrees or violating them or whatever. So if players violate your decree, you get points. So you want to basically collect no tricks usually, just like zero tricks. You want to just lose everything. But you don't want to have such a weak hand that someone can invert it and like collect all the cards because then you also don't get anything. So it's kind of this weird space of like, I want my hand to be bad, but not extremely bad. And if you're sinning, you want your hand to be like basically amazing, uh, but not like almost amazing. It has to be absolutely amazing so it, there's kind of a lot of luck with kind of dealt hands in the game unfortunately uh because of the no card exchange so sometimes like uh, the decrees are extremely easy to do sometimes they're impossible to do sometimes when you're the ruler you just have really bad hand meaning you're going to take tricks uh, no matter what uh, you try to cut your losses but that kind of um, the, the game is kind of uh, there's some luck there and uh, Trevor didn't appreciate a lot of luck <laughs> Trevor didn't appreciate that aspect of it so maybe you should go into how, how awesome your experience was I'm being sarcastic <laughs> yeah. So again, on paper, this sounds like a cool idea. Yep. And it's a trap. <laughs> 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 because so you know, I when I'm thinking about the game, I think okay, I could see why people would like that, but it has some fairly significant problems for me. And again, this is just sort of my expectations of playing a game in general. And like I said earlier, maybe I just need to soul search and just kind of accept taking games for who they are and love them. Um, but so first of all, there's the issue that Russo mentioned that, you know, there is really no way to mitigate anything. You get your hand and it is what it is. And it might be really good depending on what three decrees are currently shown on the table, or it might just be horrible and there's nothing you can do about it. So you just kind of have to try to make the best of a terrible situation. And that brings me to my next point, which is it's really easy to lose points and it's really hard to get them. So I always felt like it was just a war of attrition and I seem to be the only one losing blood <laughs> so well the game should feel the same for everyone so that's not so much of an issue for me but it is i the, the there definitely is a uh, luck with the hand hand deals and unfortunately the 
the trick taking game is so basic that it's very predictable like if if you count cards and also because there's only nine cards i was actually thinking like i was reading commentary and just stuff about the game and maybe maybe there should have been more trump decrees there's actually only one decree out of like 12 or if you're playing the expert variant like uh, 20 which uses a trump uh, all the other ones have no trump whatsoever so they're just like really basic and you can definitely kind of predict how the hand will go uh, you can count colors because it's very easy with four player game basically two hands is like eight cards so there's one left of a color so stuff like that becomes really kind of predictable so um, kind of I, I feel like there's not as much cool stuff that you can do sometimes yeah you can try to slough colors or something early to uh, and then it depends on what you slough so like standard decisions but it's very kind of the trick taking part of it is maybe too basic or something I don't know maybe yeah, it's that, a longer hand or trump or something special cards I don't know something weird that could be it that could be it I just and just like the the feeling I got from the game is is a feeling that I hate in any game or that I, I just really dislike. And that's if you f uh, fall behind, really stay behind. So, I mean, you fall behind and you feel like you're really not in the game anymore because you're losing. It's easy to lose a lot and it's hard to gain a lot. So you're kind of gaining in increments. And I guess that the idea is, is that if you're playing optimally, as with the card, if everybody's playing optimally with the cards they're dealt, you're kind of just sort of shifting money around a little bit, which are the points, and there's nobody that's really dying hard. But my experience was that three people kind of do okay, and one person just dies really hard. <laughs> <laughs> so. I don't know, uh, and that's probably you know we we looked at some reviews online, and other people had problems that we didn't have, and and so maybe it's just the dynamic of the group we were playing. Maybe you all were secretly secretly griefing me and <laughs> forcing me to die. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't particularly care who I was griefing. I was just trying to get rid of bad cards whenever possible. Like I say, very kind of simple concept. Uh, but if you want larger swings, actually, there's uh, unfortunately also an expert variant which we didn't play, which you can kind of. Uh, do all three decrees at the same time or if you attempt to send it's all you have to also do all three decrees and it increases the swinginess of the game which i'm not sure if i like that i thought that was like full of problems uh because if you win uh a sinning attempt which is basically i will collect all the green cards and the twos and threes and whatever usually basically it amounts to collecting every single trick in in the hands almost i guess which sounds kind of impossible i don't know some someone said they've seen it in the reviews on bg but uh if you try to do that and you succeed you actually win the game and if you fail you lose 18 points which usually ends the game by you having not enough money to pay uh, or points or whatever so like i don't know the incentives there are just really strange to me in a game like this because if someone is losing in round three they just do it even if they have no chance just because they could win and it just kind of wrecks the game because it gives the game maybe to whoever's like dealing at that time and basically it's full of these like incentive problems uh 
really cool in concept, but in practice, I guess you can assume that everyone's playing for high score and just really wants to play for high score until the very end. But then the reward of like win the game is kind of a weird choice there. I don't know. It's it's just like Trevor says. I think in practice, in theory, it sounds really cool. In practice, there are some problems. I still think it's an interesting game. I would play it. I don't know if it's one of my favorites, really. It's just kind of okay. It's it's fine. And that's indulgence. I don't know if you had anything else to say. Uh, no, I, I would just say, just in my own experience in general, I, I will acknowledge that I probably played wrong as well, like made bad choices, which compounded my suffering. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I think you were just... thinking about it the opposite as well. I remember like you took that one decree and played a nine, which immediately like disables. Yes. Anyway, yeah. I, yes, I, I was thinking because we had talked about what the decree meant and then immediately we're talking about what it meant if you were the sinner. Yeah. And then that stuck in my mind. And then I played as if I were the sinner, but I was actually the ruler. So I yeah, kind of yeah. like shot myself in the foot. The game does, when you first play it, it does have these weird like am I trying to lose these cards or gain all of these cards and what should I do? So it's it's kind of weird that way. You kind of yep. get used to it, though. It's not a big deal. But anyway, yeah, it's 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 got some problems, uh, but it's a very promising system. Actually, uh, someone told me about the game called Chronicle. Just really quick, I looked at it. It does have these, like, shifting goals, which I think is a really cool concept. I just wish there was a trick-taking game, which did it really well and as far as i know indulgence and chronicle are the only two which kind of have these like this round we're playing for pink cards or something or this round you want just 10 9 and 8 or something like that you know what i mean uh, i think that system is really cool i just wish it was somehow done better actually I, that would be a really cool game if someone did that in the future so yep anyway one last thought on Bottle Imp. I realize we've been playing it wrong the whole time. I see a picture on BGG of a Tabasco bottle, Tabasco sauce mm. bottle. It looks like you're supposed to drink Tabasco sauce when you drink the bottle. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I feel like actually you should drink something like awesome because that goes along with the theme. Like you're receiving supposedly like points and money and like, ha ha ha, I have the bottle now and it's giving me all these positive wishes and stuff you just don't want to be holding it at the end oh but remember it's a it's a trick-taking game so you're supposed to be suffering so yeah i guess <laughs> i don't know about that i no. like tricking taking games in general no i i i think i'm gonna work on on thinking about <laughs> them differently them more. no because I, <laughs> I, I no it's like it's interesting no, if because like I, if, you, if you don't like them you don't like them i think yeah, it's fine i mean and i want to i want to sort of explore this a little bit maybe because i think i go in expecting something that it's not going to be and that really does affect um impressions of the game so i'm going to try to <laughs> change my mindset and if if not then i just i just i guess i don't like trick taking games as much and that's fine yeah. Uh, but speaking of not trick-taking games, uh, we played a couple games also lately that are sort of in the uh, city building slash tile laying uh, category. First one I think was on our uh, on the horizon segment an episode or two ago, and it's Ginkopolis, designed by Javier Georges, and it's a Pearl Games uh, game. And this is. Um, a really cool 
uh, oh, it's from 2012, so it, it just got reprinted, which is why it's kind of on our radar. And it's in in a fictional futuristic society that's kind of rebuilding after uh, some sort of cataclysmic event where humans have exhausted all the resources on Earth, and now we're just kind of trying to revitalize. And really, that's what Ginkopolis is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I I didn't. I assumed you were just building like a regular city. I didn't know it even had like a theme like that. That's funny. Yeah, it, it takes in takes place in twenty two thousand two hundred twelve. Year two thousand two hundred twelve. <laughs> okay, in cool. Ginkgo sure. biloba, the oldest and strongest tree in the world, has become the symbol. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's like the weirdest theme choice of for that game in particular. But whatever works, I guess. Yeah. So um, this is actually a really cool game. Spoilers. I think Chris and I both really liked it. I'll get to what you think in just a sec. But but the overview of the game is it's basically a drafting game um, where you're passing you're basically you're passing cards around every round and everybody simultaneously selects from a hand of four cards and you can do one of three things with those cards. You're either going to just play the card. Um, to do whatever that card gives you and there's two types of cards there's cards that activate specific buildings because each building has a unique number on it and there's only one card in the whole game with that number on it so you will activate that building and that building produces its resources for you based on how tall it is and by height you measure that just by how many tiles are stacked on top of each other so if you've got a blue building which produces tiles you play the card with that 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 building's number on it and say it's a three uh, three tiles stacked up top of each other that building's going to let you draw three tiles from the pool of available tiles uh, or you could build uh, you could play um, a card that has a letter on it which corresponds to uh, one of I think 12 tiles that are all on the outskirts of the yep. the communal 12, yeah. city you're all building together because it's it's not individual cities it's actually um, communal cities so it's quite a bit of player interaction in this game actually and that uh playing that card just for itself will just give you a, a type of resource or you can play one of those types of cards with a tile and if you play it with a numbered building tile you're going to actually build a tile from your supply on top of the number that's shown on the card you played and then that's going to change the makeup of the city and when you go to reshuffle the deck um, and and draw cards for everybody you're going to add in the number of the the corresponding number card of the tile you put into the city so the the deck evolves as you play the game and then the other way you can play a card with a tile is by playing one of those outskirt uh, sort of sprawling cards where you're going to expand your city outwards and um there's a cool adjacency bonus mechanic there as well and uh just one thing i'll throw in before i uh, jump over to what Hristo thought about it um when you're playing cards with tiles you're actually adding cards to your a, a tableau of cards in front of you which is engine building so and and those cards really simply they just add benefits to the other actions you do in the game so there might be an action uh one of the players we did had a really nice engine with this that every time he just played a card to gather resources he also got a bunch of other stuff so 
I really thought this game was cool and it, it felt fresh, even though it's a 2012 game. Um, it It's really cool. Uh, lots of player interaction, communal city building tile placement game with interesting decisions and, and uh, a, a really, really good theme. <laughs> So what did you think about yeah. Aristo? Uh, I was actually thinking about it, and it's like an abstract game, basically. Uh, it could have been... I guess it lends itself really well with the way it's made to building a city, but it feels very kind of abstract. I really kind of like games where you build something together uh, in the middle of the table. I think what was really cool with the game was, first of all, there are some really strange rules, or not strange, but just kind of... A lot of kind of procedural stuff for how simple it's supposed to be of a game. And I th I was concerned that they were going to be a little confusing. And they actually are a little bit confusing. Like even at the end of the game, I think I was like forgetting to do things. Because uh, the three actions, there's you go through like a series of steps basically. And some of them, like basically you're just thinking like, is that the action which lets me produce resources? No, that's just the action that I use to make the building higher and take over a building, take ownership. So it does have these like uh, weird kind of learning the game kind of steps. But I think the system is really cool. Uh, it's really well designed. I really think what's unique is that the game building its own deck kind of mechanic. I think that's really awesome because uh, when you build a building, the card gets removed by you just removing it of the, out of the game. And when a new building gets built, its card gets included in the deck. So basically the deck is a constantly shifting kind of uh, set of whatever the top level buildings of the city are. Uh, and that's just kind of really unique. Also, yeah, the combination of like spatial placement, uh, adjacent activation, there's an area control mini game at the end uh the mixture of that is really cool and i think not very frequently done in exactly this way uh anyway just like a really cool mix of mechanics um i can see why people were looking for the game because it was out of print for a while and it was actually really popular and i think it's like rose in price or something but now that yeah. there's a reprint it's back down to normal uh but i like yeah just really really cool game it feels kind of really unique uh, i can't really think of a lot of there are some other city building games i guess of that kind that i haven't played actually by alban viard who, uh, who did like tramways and stuff he does have some of those like build taller also there's a sunrise city which i have uh, had for a long time that's like an auctioning game though uh just really really cool system i think uh for the weight that it is and a very cool like drafting game um with lots of promise for future place and replayab replayability and different strategies and different things to do. Uh, it's kind of simpler relatively, but still really fun. Yeah, I agree. Um, on paper, this is just a, I, it's just a bunch of mechanisms thrown into a box, but they all sing really well with each other. And it, the game is once you've learned the steps, you know, like like Christo said, there are there are some steps that you just kind of have to learn. I think the playing a tile action has something like five to eight steps that you just have to follow in order, but they're all pretty intuitive once you once you learn it. Yeah, um, it's not that yeah. bad, but there is a period of like, what the heck am I doing? And hopefully, I'm not forgetting something uh, in the game. Yeah, but yeah, it's really cool. 
Um, another city building slash tile placement game we played recently, um, also not a very new game, actually it's from the same year. Uh, Suburbia is a 2012 game. This is designed by Ted Ausbach, and uh, it's a Bezier Games uh, publication. And uh, just a brief overview of what you're doing in the game. You're basically just expanding what starts as a small neighborhood. Everybody starts with, I think, three hexagon tiles. Yep. And uh, the whole game is just adding additional um, hexagons to your neighborhood so that it grows in population and your income increases and... Uh, that's basically it. So you're you're pulling tiles from a real estate market. That's actually what it's called. It's it's a real estate market. Um, it's a river, really. Yeah, it's basically it's just, just a, a river. river of tiles, which you pay higher price for the highest ones. Yep. So you're pulling those tiles, and you're either adding them to your city for the tiles that they are, which uh, then interact with adjacent tiles or maybe other tiles in other neighborhoods. Uh, Riso and I were actually joking that the way I was building my neighborhood might actually eventually connect to his across the table. <laughs> so uh, there's no, I think, restrictions on where you place other than that tiles have to be adjacent to an, another previously placed tile. Uh, there's four different types of tiles that kind of have thematic ties, although those are a fairly abstracted game. I think you can build residential buildings, industrial buildings, commercial buildings, and am I forgetting one? I know there's green, blue, yellow, and gray. Oh, like maybe. Civic buildings. Yeah, I think there's gray, which is something like town hall or something. I think was the theme. Actually, I can't remember. Yeah, there's definitely gray though, because I remember gray buildings as well. Yep. Yep, there's great buildings. So overall, um, I I enjoyed Suburbia. As I was playing it, I could see how it would benefit from um, expansion content because it's it's very simple, and I think it's intended to be that way. Although there are some weird things uh, that you can touch on that uh, you mentioned earlier about sort of having to keep track of a lot of things. Um, but yep. I, I think that the game does not have a – just the base game, it seems to me, doesn't have a ton of replayability because all of the tiles in the base set kind of have a similar flavor. Um, and so I think if you play this game multiple times over and over, you're kind of going to just know it and know which tiles to look for. But, you know, people like that. Uh, but I think I think I would enjoy the game more and more if we, you know, adding more content for it. And luckily, there's a lot of content to add. And I think you have it, don't you? Yeah, I've had the collector's edition actually for quite a while now, which is kind of a larger version of the game with some extra stuff thrown in and whatever five player, six player. I don't know if I'm going to play five six five six player, but uh, the game is actually really really simple. Basically, uh, put tiles down and do what they say, and they move you up on tracks. That's Pretty much the whole game, we're combo off of each other. Uh, but it creates this interesting kind of game, actually. Um, not bad at all, actually. It reminds me kind of of Hadara, which is very similar. Not as far as uh, uh, like theme or anything, but as a concept. Basically, that's play cards to move up on tracks and interact with other cards, maybe. Uh, uh, suburbia is basically play tiles to interact with tiles and move up on tracks. 
uh, that's that's it. That's the whole game. Or move up or down, I guess, on tracks like spend tracks for other tracks. Uh, there is kind of a little bit of a curve, but I think it's pretty straightforward. Basically, like if you grow your city too large, there's the natural you pass these like lines and it slows you down naturally. So you should kind of time it so when you explode, it's hopefully uh, sustainable and you don't like fall behind because now you can't afford anything. That's kind of an element of the game. You have to worry about kind of just keeping a good, uh, I guess, kind of uh, engine or something. Uh, and or you also don't want to overdo it. The track. Oh yeah, I guess you don't want to overdo it. I think actually you guys overdoing it was a very weird edgy situation where if you play it repeatedly, I don't think that's going to happen as much. I don't know. Yeah, the tracks are limited to 15 and we ex uh, two people, ex you, you exceeded them as well, I think. Uh, two of the three people who were playing exceeded them, which was really weird. I don't know. We actually had some questions about that, but shouldn't really happen happen that much i think you kind of want to use up the resources that you have to generate either more resources or more more likely points uh the thing is like i say the points slow you down so you kind of want to delay the points and get them all at the same time maybe or something but ultimately it creates kind of this fun kind of relatively lightweight uh, experience of uh kind of a tile river game and you just uh, get tiles from a river and place them and oh so the upkeep situation that trevor was talking about is there are tiles which don't just interact with uh the tracks and the adjacent tiles they interact with like all the tiles in the game for example if you have an airport it scores like uh, population or whatever for every airport in the game and there's some other tiles which are like for every tile in the game so it introduces this element of where you have to pay attention to what other people are taking because you need to adjust your tracks when someone takes an airport or blue tiles or whatever so it's a little bit of a nightmare actually to manage that aspect of the game i wish you could just worry about your own boards maybe uh i can see how these tiles are kind of cool and make you care about what other people are doing in some way but also they kind of don't and the danger is you're just going to forget to do something which has a pretty significant impact in an engine building game when someone takes a towel. So I guess maybe we should be more religious about when you take a towel, announce like, I am taking a blue residential towel, which is a skyscraper. And I everyone, am watching you take a blue towel yeah. and it's a skyscraper. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't have to announce that you're watching, but it should, <laughs> like apparently when you take a towel, you should clearly announce what it is. So like if anyone needs to be paying attention to, oh, when he takes a skyscraper, my track goes down by one. So to kind of catch those things and hopefully everyone does it. Because it uh, as the game goes on, there's a lot of towels to keep track of and it becomes not unmanageable, just kind of challenging by the end. And you're almost glad it's over because it's like, oh my gosh, this is like becoming ridiculous as far yeah. as the upkeep of it. So that's actually anyway. it's actually thematic because growth is unsustainable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that's like the deep ties there, the deep thematic ties. Uh, oh, this game the... is teaching us all sorts of things about life. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, overall, it's a really uh, cool idea. There was an explosion of city building games around like 2016, 15, 16, 17, I think, and that's one of them. There's some other ones I want to play like actually subdivision which is the same universe but also again more like abstract kind of leaning uh game there's some games by album vr that i want to play that are city building i generally actually enjoy city building games every time i see one recently there have been some like high rise and there was a weird one where you had to like 
uh, dexterity stacking game or a mega city, mega city Oceania or something, where you have to like build these little cool structures and then slide them across the table, representing you delivering them to the city, like in the water or something, and they have to not fall down. Anyway, every time I see a city building game, I'm intrigued because I really like the theme and maybe don't expect too much out of Suburbia, but I think it's really fun, uh, regardless. Yeah, I would just say the probably my favorite thing about the game is that everything is adaptive. So when you so like say you play a, a tile that says for every adjacent yellow tile you get plus one income or something like that. Um, that counts for the tiles that are next to it when you play it and afterwards. And that applies also to the tiles that take into account the other types of tiles around the table. So basically, you're never missing out on the benefit of a tile. You're always going to get um, the benefits, it, it, so long as it's placed correctly, if it's an adjacency bonus or, or, yeah. or what have you. And then also the tracks are adaptive because the tracks not only provide you your income in terms of, uh, I think your reputation track gives you population income and then your... Um, whatever track gives your money track gives you money income but the the tracks themselves are a currency of sorts because certain tiles uh, make you go up and down on those tracks so i just enjoyed that it was all adaptive and it was all just a big puzzle that you have to figure out um to how to keep it moving the whole game yeah, yeah, I think that's really cool. That's kind of a feature of engine building games where uh, sometimes in board games, the order in which you do things matters quite a bit. Sometimes it doesn't because like uh, Trevor says, if you get something later, the earlier stuff for that kind of thing activates. So everything kind of like actualizes. I think the challenge there is actually kind of managing explosions uh, that can lead to huge things just building up too much yes. <laughs> in general, uh, which I think actually somehow Suburbia manages really well. Um, yeah, I think it just kind of generally works. Uh, the other thing is upkeep, like some kind of ripple effects, which because of the design of the tiles, they're kept to like it does when you put a tile, it doesn't have cause a ripple that like resonates across the entire board, which would be kind of annoying. Uh, but that's just kind of keeping the design kind of simple. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think it works really well. Uh, and I really like that in engine building games in general, when like uh, basically everything actualizes itself, even if you had previously placed it. So it's not like I have to build this first, then then, then, then that, then that, then that. I don't really usually uh, like those kind of decisions of like having to order your things in particular ways, but that's just the minor thing anyway, Suburbia. Yep, it's a good game. I, I see uh, people have made couch pillows in, sh in the shape of the hex tiles. So, uh, <laughs> I've got so, some, I've got so some much Christmas fandom. gift ideas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, another game which I don't know if you've played is uh, Castles of Great King Ludwig or whatever, which recently had a Ludwig. Kickstarter. Mad, 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 sorry, Mad King Ludwig. Uh, I think that game actually is really cool as well. It's kind of similar as well. It has a more of a spatial component because Suburbia is all hexes. Mad King Ludwig actually has these like shapes which you build a spatial little literal castle out of them and has like two floors and stuff. And anyway, kind of an interesting game. That one is actually set. Someone sets the price so on like a river so in I Suburbia. Can, you choose yeah yeah basically uh someone draws like four tiles and they assign them according to how desirable they think they can be uh also a very problematic system because it's um 
assumes that everyone knows how to play the game and price them correctly otherwise they might just set someone up but that's just a nice split you choose mechanic where um yeah you you kind of rely on everyone knowing how to price things i guess <laughs> so so someone doesn't get like a really nice yeah. uh, boost all right so that's it for uh games played now we'll head into our topic for the day teaching board games So, have you ever taught a board game, Haristo? Never. Uh, everyone knows all the board games when they show up, so you never have to teach, which is one of the coolest things about board gaming. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be like the worst joke of all, because I think that's one of the worst things about board gaming, is you have to explain rules all the time, everywhere, every time you yeah. try to play a game. <laughs> And it's this is really interesting because as I go creating board game minions around the world, um, I see, and by creating minions, I mean I infect people with the board game sickness and then they start to <laughs> buy games and then I start to store and my overflow spreads. in their houses and then it spreads. <laughs> um, I, I've come to realize sort of lately within the last year or so that, that – um, and it's, I mean, you kind of know this, but teaching board games is really a skill that you have to develop. Um, and I, I've noticed this as I see my minions start to teach games and I realize, um, oh, well, they that would have been clearer if they taught it this way. Or, oh, that was neat that they taught that that way. I, I should try that on my, when I teach a game. Um, or I get to the end of the teaching, I'm like, I have no idea how to play this game, and I'm not convinced they do either. <laughs> I, have a, I have a feeling of constructive criticism coming. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Um, but so it's, it's a skill that develops. Um, and... You know, I I don't remember exactly how I used to teach board games. Uh, so I remember one time back in my early days of board gaming, I was teaching my family Seven Wonders, and I thought it would be the clearest and most simple way to teach them to just read them the rule book, <laughs> which does not usually work well, and you usually lose people about five seconds into the teach, and so. I, I started thinking about um, what, how has my process of board game teaching evolved over the years? And I, I wondered if you had maybe a similar experience to that. Do you have a recollection of a time you taught a game and it just didn't go well for whatever reason? Uh, no, I can never basically remember a moment when I thought reading the rule book was a good idea to people <laughs> <laughs> you were I, always I, just smart <laughs> uh yeah i never thought that was actually gonna go well i think uh the way rule books are written uh is really kind of detailed and it, they definitely have more detail than they need some things are really obvious actually sometimes they're like laughably obvious i mean something like uh step seven place the board game on the temple the uh, table that should uh, be step one <laughs> yeah, or whatever, you know, like, uh, or like, uh, roll the dice or whatever, you know, like things that are just really obvious, uh, but they feel like they need to specify them particularly. So there's absolutely no way that people can get things wrong. So it's almost like writing a technical manual or something. It definitely has more than you need. Uh, so I think it's kind of distilling the information to just the most important parts. Uh, but anyway, no, I, as far as bad teaches, 
I think the bad teaches that I've had, if any, have been teaches where people are just kind of not interested in the type of game it is. Usually, if you try to explain or try to play a game that's more complicated than people want a game to be, um, I've had some bad experiences there with like meetups or just kind of uh, people maybe it's not necessarily at SaltCon actually because I think they have pretty good expectations there, but uh, mostly at meetups actually I'd say. Um, Only three where, rules. Where, yeah, where you start explaining game and people just kind of zone out or they just l clearly look like they're not interested. And at that point, maybe you should just stop and like, well, maybe we shouldn't play this game. <laughs> we should play <laughs> yeah. something else. Read the room. <laughs> uh, because clearly they're not interested. But that's been kind of just my experience with explaining board games as, as far as like failures or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, a, anyway. that's a good point. Uh, when you're teaching games is you've got to be really cognizant and aware of who you're teaching and and be aware that maybe you've pulled out a game that you're teaching that isn't the right fit for the group. Um, and so if it doesn't look like it's going well, maybe that game's not ready to be played yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another... Um, so... I wanted to talk a little bit about what are the attributes of a good teach. So if, when you're teaching or if you're being taught a game, what are the attributes of that teach that you find um, essential to having a good experience with that game? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting question because uh, what I think is a good teach may not necessarily what be what other people think is a good teach. I think it depends on kind of personal preference a lot. And also, I think when you're teaching people, you should probably consider their backgrounds a lot. Uh, for example, if someone's an experienced board gamer, like uh, I assume, maybe I fall into that sometimes because with you guys, because when I explain games, I assume that because we play so many games, everyone just kind of knows, like, if I say something like a card river, basically that implies that you basically knows you know exactly how it works <laughs> because uh it's kind oh, of kind obvious of card river? <laughs> uh yeah and then i just kind of like question that i've explained anything at all if i get a question like that i'm just kidding uh no i mean uh so I think like you should teach one way to people who have never played a board game and a definitely a different way with someone who plays your games every day uh, because they definitely have different understandings of kind of just games in general. Um, and like I say, I think uh, reading the rulebook is way overkill, extremely boring because it has a lot of details and it's written sometimes in a like an amusing way, which is only amusing when you read it. <laughs> it's kind of not so amusing if you yeah. <laughs> uh, read read out the jokes in real life or something, or they have like little things with like comics comic characters Friedman Freeze actually likes that a lot with like him popping in and like explaining to you what strategy stuff strategy tips or something so stuff like that is like extremely boring when you're not reading it and it just doesn't translate well so I think the answer is it depends I don't know what a good teach is so yeah um, it kind of depends <laughs> you heard it here first there's no if, such thing if I have a preferred <laughs> way of teaching actually um, I actually don't like uh, I know that's kind of a point of contention with some people that I've talked to because a lot of people will ex uh, expect you to say this is how you win when you explain a board game that's the first thing when you explain a, when you explain a game and actually maybe it kind of goes along with like your interest as a gamer or something <laughs> 
<laughs> like uh, when I first play a game, I I don't necessarily am not necessarily interested in like winning the game as far as more uh, compared to just understanding the system of how the game works and just kind of experiencing the game and just kind of having fun with the system and just wow that was kind of cool if i win yay if i don't win oh well uh but a lot of people are like you have to explain how you win first so you know yeah that's really interesting that you say that um because i've (laughs) I've noticed this no i've noticed this um when you teach games and this is fascinating to me because um not because I think it's the wrong way of approaching it, just because my brain works a little differently than that. I think, um, and it totally makes sense because you you are playing games to explore the system and have fun with it, and that you know that's that's I also play games for that, but to orient myself and and the way I teach, I always basically start out by telling everybody this is kind of the theme of the game, and then I tell them. Uh, you know, the overall point of the game and how it ends or basically how you win, like you're trying to get the most points or, or whatever, whatever it is. And then I go into how the game progresses and how the mechanisms work and what you do on a turn. Whereas I, I've noticed that on when, when you teach a game, um, you jump right into this is how the mechanisms work and, and this is how this interacts with that and, yeah. and things like that. If I were to start with something, I usually start with like the theme of what we're doing because I think that sometimes is good, especially if the game integrates the theme well. I think that's a really good kind of like um, just this is what you're doing and hopefully the mechanics tie to what you're doing and they make sense. Um, and just kind of in general, general information about the game, how many rounds, whatever, and just kind of mechanics. If I'm talking to experienced people, like uh, has deck building, this area is like worker placement, so you kind of have some initial ideas. But yeah, actually, that's kind of getting a little too philosophical, maybe. But I actually really enjoy games which kind of your play represents. Like if you're doing, if it feels like you're doing cool stuff, you shouldn't even worry about the score. That's those are the games that I enjoy probably the most, uh, because that actually the the case in point uh, is Lost Ruins of Arnak actually, because I think that was the weird uh, maybe surprise and like what the heck was uh, I felt like those blue cards and having like really cool combos and just doing like a huge chain reaction was going to just naturally naturally uh, result in a good score but it was actually a complete disaster and basically like um, kind of a weird game where you can play this way but it doesn't result in points which I feel like if in general the game should be like if you just focus on uh just doing cool stuff and maximizing obviously some basic hero concepts like don't do dumb stuff and bad conversions or whatever maybe i guess that's the argument is maybe those conversions were actually bad uh you should it should just naturally the score should naturally represent what the game kind of that you played or whatever you know what i mean yeah it that's be really like, interesting it shouldn't be like i'm doing these like nonsensical things just to get a high score it should be like i want to play the coolest game i can come up with and my score should just automatically reflect you know the the coolness of <laughs> how the game went yeah. i don't know if that makes sense no, like i say it, kind it of a totally philosophical does. subject it totally makes sense um you know and maybe everyone who's listening might not have the benefit of like the 
the like aha moment I just had about my friend Risto. <laughs> uh, is I totally understand now why some games that I really enjoy and and have fun playing, you're just like I don't think that that was fun or had the magic, even though it was like a good system and 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 worked as yeah, a game. Yeah. Is because when I'm playing a game. Um, particularly Euro games where basically you're just trying to accumulate points, right? Um, I'm always just thinking about, okay, what is the the point from where I am to maximizing points? And what are the cool mechanisms along the way that help me do that? And that's how I have fun with the game is figuring out how to sort of blast points out of game and that's not to say you don't score points because i used to as i used to say frequently if there's a game that can be broken we'll play it with risu and he'll figure out how to break it (laughs) um but it your approach to teaching games and and how you play them is more along the lines of what you said of just uh you play it because you want to feel like you're doing cool things and doing cool things should just kind of even out into points and some games that just uh that just doesn't happen so well there's a there's a <laughs> yep. there's a realization for for me now yeah. i now i understand more of of who you are <laughs> but actually speaking of the subject maybe i guess i definitely say like what the win condition is at least i think i do most of the time even though that's not really important but uh usually the win condition in euro games is pretty boring it's like most points wins so like yeah yay. you don't say <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's like should i even say that are you know, there numbers it's the kind board. Of, it's kind of obvious yeah basically <laughs> if there's numbers around the board like most points wins uh usually i say it if it's an exception like uh when Dake or something uh had like a the your lowest track is your score or something weird like that which Knizia actually likes a lot is like he likes uh having multiple tracks and the lowest track is your score so you kind of have to it forces you to kind of push them up evenly or something uh but yeah if it's an unusual condition i will probably say something about it otherwise i kind of assume that it people understand it's all about points and most points wins and uh actually i feel like uh it kind of goes along with like if I'm explaining to people how they sh- how they w- how they can win or whatever, or how they should win or whatever, or how uh, am I really explaining the game, or am I explaining like am I am I giving like strategy tips or something? Um, I feel like it kind of encroaches on that territory of like uh, not just explaining how the mechanics works, which is which is what I like and I uh, enjoy explaining, but also like oh you should do this here because this is better than this and like. I feel like that conversation is completely out the window as far as I go because I really like discovering my own games and I don't want people to tell me like, oh, you should not do this like blue strategy because it's really bad and like it never wins. Um, I feel like I want to discover that and actually usually in games like that where something never works, I want to make it work because the designer clearly thought it should work. So it should work it really frustrates me when it doesn't work and it kind of makes me not want to play games by that designer but anyway that's kind of beside the point but yeah i kind of focus on just a really a simple explanation of mechanics that gets people to understand how they work and ideally kind of linger for questions about particular edge cases where 
something is unclear after you start playing maybe um because usually that's what the rule book is for is like usually a mechanism is kind of clear how it works but when you get to some weird case or detail that's when the questions pop out pop up and that's why the rule book is so long usually because they want to cover all of those cases but anyway yeah just um yep yeah, that's yeah, about it that's a that's a really interesting uh discussion has actually taught me a lot about why you teach the way you do and why you are the way you are <laughs> no, uh because my my approach is pretty not i i wouldn't say drastically different but different in the sense that when i try to teach a game um i always like to give the ob the objective first and then i give structure um and then i fill that out with the details of how you get from point a to point b and i i think it's important like you said don't get too deep into strategy because then you're just overwhelming your players or uh and also you're like, you're like taking away from their experience yes. of the game that's one yes. of the things i really enjoyed about about the game is to figure out what works myself not just read strategy guides or something i feel like that's like the most boring thing ever yeah no i i don't think it's a good idea to um, spend a lot of time telling people what strategies they should play. W what I will touch on sometimes, depending on the complexity of the game, is I'll I'll kind of go over just a brief summary of the flow of of how things work. So, like if it's not clear, how do I get points? I'll just say, well, you've kind of got to get these resources that can get you these two hickeys that then convert into points or you can buy these cards that turn into points at the end of the game so just kind of flagging points of interest where if you want to play the game this way this is how you can generate points by doing that thing and and you i don't like to spend a lot of time on that because i it can start to cross over into the territory of telling somebody how to play the not not mechanically how to play the game but strategically how they should play the game and that i think like you said takes away from the experience yeah uh sometimes if the game has some huge pitfall that maybe i experienced when i first played it or i think it's a real danger uh klondike rush uh, comes to mind where if you bid too much basically you can be completely out of the game by the midpoint and then you just kind of watch other people auction because yep. you have absolutely no money i definitely mentioned like well this is how the game works and uh, make sure you pace yourselves it's like don't fall into yeah. this thing but if you think you can pull it off do it whatever uh, but I will definitely will not go into details about just tips of how to score points here and there and whatever if there's something major like that I will mention just kind of like well the game doesn't have guardrails there so good luck <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, the, uh, the, the opposite side of that coin is somebody gets into trouble there and then they ask well how do I get out of this and the, the, the answer the answer is <laughs> play, don't the answer is don't better. be in that situation <laughs> yeah. yep no actually that's kind of become a running joke of don't be in that situation in games because yeah uh, we've had some experiences with that not too many but uh, i feel like that's kind of uh, goes along with game design as well as in theory you should design a game that doesn't allow for that to happen there should always be kind of some way out it might not be a good way out but like there should be a way out but some games don't believe in that i guess uh just kind of like uh, yeah don't be in that situation <laughs> that's kind of what it comes <laughs> yeah. down to don't so, be in that situation yeah. classic
but yeah basically uh, teaching is kind of interesting because yeah you're not quite reading the rule book you're not even like reciting the rule book i think that'd be insanely bad as well but you should uh, definitely kind of, know the rule book yeah but you should know the rule book to answer questions but i think you should really just kind of uh, understand what how much people know so you're not like explaining too much uh, but also don't explain too little some kind of a happy medium of so that everyone kind of understands how the game works and they can get going and like I say the ideal situation is you're either in the game or linger so you can answer questions because if you leave and people have questions well actually it's not a complete disaster then because then it can, at least they can reference the rulebook and find out their answer hopefully if the rule book is organized well so yeah yep all right did you have anything else to add uh just a quick mention that i usually well in the uh before times i used to teach games at saltcon uh there's been talk about a new saltcon summer and we'll see if that happens but actually teaching is something that i kind of enjoy quite a bit hopefully i'm decent at it and um, i've entertained the thoughts of just teaching in general um mostly like math or something in another life uh one of my other uh, lives that I sometimes think of what it could have been. I might have been like a math teacher or something or a physics teacher or whatever. Uh, I think it's really cool or IT or something to uh, computer yeah, science. Yeah, there is there's some sense of of achievement and and it, it's nice to, I mean, you feel like you're helping other people, right? Yeah, so yeah you, you feel like you're helping other people. I think that's really good feeling. Yeah, so I, I enjoy teaching a lot for that reason as well and, and so it's it's a skill that I've dedicated time to over the years as I play more games. So I actually really like to teach. I also have to teach because I'm the one with the, the sickness. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. if I want people to play games with me, I have to teach them. Um, and unfortunately, uh, and I've noticed, yeah, we're both basically what people might call, call rules lawyers. We like to find out basically how the rule is ruled and even go to the designer for answers or BGG and really find out. I'm or not a fan argue of, with each other yeah or argue <laughs> with each other uh i'm not a fan of uh house ruling games are like oh i don't know what this rule is this is what it feels like it should be so let's just play it that way um not a fan of that so we usually try to find out rules but yeah speaking of which uh if saltcon resumes and everything according to regular schedule you might see me there teaching games if they keep letting me <laughs> so yeah, i think i would volunteer for that as well it sounds like a good time yeah 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 it's good I, I was gonna say i remember the last salt con we went to i felt bad for the people who were teaching on mars at the demo table because <laughs> that's yeah. not really uh that's not necessarily a sit down and play it and with that's kind four of new people and game. that's kind of on the organizers as well because they realize that it what kind of game it is because they play it but it's popular so they just want to have it yeah. and yeah they know it's going to be like a two-hour teach every time and yep well, well the you... table was never empty but i don't know that that's because there were a lot of groups i think it was just a lot of people played yeah. a lot of long games but I mean, it's basically you just sit there and explain for two hours and hopefully the people who want to play it have the patience and know what they're in for. So yeah. that's kind of what it is. I think I remember the guy, one of the guys basically just, you kind of had to sit at the table and play yeah. the game with the people. <laughs> yep. 
yeah. <laughs> so it's rough teach yeah i don't like when the organizers choose games like that uh, gaia project was also a nightmare for people who have not played terra mystica previously because you have to teach terra mystica and then you have to teach basically the expansion to terra mystica which is gaia project but anyway uh, sometimes they make these decisions i like uh, lighter games uh, in preferably i've avoided on mars for that particular convention which was nice not being able to teach uh, not teaching it i mean um so yeah anyway but it's generally a good time uh for sure yeah so that's our topic for the day teaching board games we'll post a link to the podcast on facebook and if you feel so inclined to share your thoughts about how you like teaching games or being taught games, or if you want to disagree with us on on anything we've said in this segment, feel free to jump into that Facebook comment section. Let us know what you think. Uh, For now, we're going to move on to the games on our horizon. All right. uh, Games on the horizon, actually, not too many uh, these couple of weeks. Um, I haven't really looked at there's it looks like there have been a bunch of retail releases for some reason or at least our local store got a shipment here but uh, they're going along with kind of the trick-taking theme that we've been going through and Thursday being trick-taking day or card game day I looked up some uh, this indulgence experience I guess sent me on a spiral of uh, looking at trick-taking games and the highest rated trick-taking games and looking for games that I've missed maybe um, and actually I looked into a couple of games which I think are really interesting and I bought one which is coming uh, in the mail uh, the game that I bought first of all I guess which I'm looking forward to playing is called uh, well actually the one that I bought specifically is called Zing um with an exclamation mark and actually the funniest thing there is we were talking about it with uh trevor that we should do a top three games with exclamation marks because um this is not the only game that i'm looking forward to with an exclamation mark but zing exclamation mark is an alternate name of a game called slough off exclamation mark Like, for some reason, they just uh, want you to be really excited about their uh, game, which is is a different version of the phrase get lost, or (laughs) I guess I don't know. No, slough off me uh, refers to the it's called sloughing and trick taking games, basically, when you can't uh play the suit which was led you slough anything really usually bad cards you don't want or low cards or something of a different color anyway it enables you to play cards which don't match basically or like slough them kind of like uh i don't know like skin or something gross i don't know where it comes from really but um sloughing yeah so it comes from slough off because there's actually a role called the sluffer i think or the zinger actually in zing i think is uh, what it's called uh the role of that person is basically to ruin the other people's day i think uh what does this mean i think their objective is to make them like not meet their targets of tricks uh so i don't know why they're called the sluffer maybe because they have like a random hand and they want to 
like not match what people play i have no idea but anyway they want to and then zing i think is a more appropriate title for it because they want to zing people like make them take tricks or not take tricks that they're expecting to take and they score for that so it's kind of like a game where three people bid on the number of tricks they're going to take and one person is just a griefer <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds kind of fascinating to me actually and i kind of want to play it because it's kind of just uh sounded really cool uh actually the game has had a lot of names uh one of which is wizard extreme um wizard is a remake well skulking is a remake of wizard which is another very very popular uh trick-taking game which you might have heard of if you play a lot of trick-taking games it's uh i think that's the game which kind of started the concept of you get dealt a hand and you bid on the number of tricks you think you can get with the hand that you're dealt so kind of a lot of control of like oh i got dealt dealt a bad bad hand so i'm gonna bid on zero and you get rewarded for hitting the exact number of tricks that you're gonna take uh so anyway slafoff for zing coming in the mail the zing version is actually what's coming in the mail the slafoff version is published by eagle griffin and they chose a weird like theme of farm animals and they have like uh chickens is a token in the game and the cards are all like full of farm animals like chickens and sheep and whatever kind of weird um so i kind of appreciated the uh simplicity of zing and i found the version of it kind of randomly on ebay for a decent price which was i submitted kind of a low bid which was surprisingly accepted so i guess someone really wanted to get rid of <laughs> they it they were happy that to see anybody <laughs> yeah, they interested to, yep they were happy to make <laughs> it go away uh no the funny thing is it's also in shrink wrap so i guess they just have inventory or something of old games probably they just want to make yeah, I it wonder, go away i wonder if i'm looking at the right one on bgg uh it's called slough off s-u-s-l-u-f-f oh, okay because i'm looking at zing with an exclamation mark oh no 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 there's a bunch of games called zing and the first hit is not the game that i'm talking about that looked really bad and like just yeah bad. yeah because i'm looking at some of the the <laughs> high praise bad. it's getting and one review says fail period yeah, and yeah. One of those, from no, what i recall it was pretty bad <laughs> that's some kind of a storytelling game is the first hit actually zing is not a good search uh, thing slough off is the search thing that you should do because zing is like uh also known as or alternate names it has like seven alternate gotcha. names so anyway i'm looking forward to that i think it's going to be cool it's probably not going to be like groundbreakingly amazing but i think the concept of uh having one person that's a griefer in something like wizard or Skulking sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, another game which I started looking at is called Delt now uh, in the US. It used to be called Kraskariert, which means, uh, I think, combo cross combos. And all the cards look like crosses. I don't know what's cross about it because it's a climbing game uh from what i understand but it's used to be called cross career now it got published as dealt with an exclamation I mark you, i was gonna say i don't think you said that said that right it's supposed to be yes. dealt. dealt yeah dealt uh with an exclamation mark because again don't touch those cards you have to do the exclamation mark 
in uh, trick-taking games. Otherwise, they just don't look cool enough. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, another game with a thousand names, I guess. There's a Japanese version as well, whatever. Uh, but yeah, climbing game. The weird thing about that game is there's. Uh, it looks really uh, like a cool concept. You pick up your cards and you can't rearrange them, and then you kind of get rid of cards in between cards, and they combine. And you can only play cards which are adjacent. If you know uh, climbing games, basically you want to have uh, repeating numbers, so you can play like two, 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 three, 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 four, 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 uh, because larger numbers are usually better, and also larger amount of cards is usually better. So. Uh, that one has the bonanza thing of pick up your hand and not rearrange it. And the order in which you play your hand is really cool. There's some special cards. Uh, actually, the game looks really cool and a lot of like really high praise. People are like, oh my gosh, this is like the best game ever. I love this game. I'll, I'll always play it. The weird thing about it is there's one loser and everyone else is a winner which sounds kind of like a children's game or something. So I bet the game is still kind of fun in a lighthearted, dumb way, which kind of approaches people are saying like, don't buy no thanks, uh, not no thanks, uh, don't buy llama, buy this, <laughs> which makes me think it's kind of the same weight. So kind of don't expect too much, just kind of play it for, for the laughs a little bit. And I bet it's like a cool puzzle and stuff. But I found a game uh, actually from one of the references in Delta around the forums or whatever the reviews I think which is called Scout which is basically the same game uh, but it has this weird thing where you can when, once you're dealt your hand you can actually flip your hand over and the cards have different numbers in the, the different corners so if you don't like your hand base you can consider flipping it over for a different hand <laughs> So I think that's a really cool concept of like basically two options to start you start the game with. Uh, very similar concept. It has one winner though, and it, a lot of people said like they like it better. The only problem with uh, that, which is called Scout again. Uh, oh, by the way, Scout with an exclamation. Uh, mark scout! because uh, you have to scout excitedly. So Scout. So again, this is really weird. I don't know why it's cool to put exclamation marks after names of trick-taking games or game card games in general these days. But Scout is only published in Japan, and uh, it costs like thirty-five bucks, I think, when you convert it with from Amazon Japan to import it. So I'm really hoping that like Cross Career, someone actually picks it up in the U.S. and publishes it, because I would definitely buy this at like the ten, twelve dollars. 10 12 dollars it should be uh as a small card game i think that looks really good um so yeah oh scout also has this amazing uh, i don't think it's actually the rulebook because on the screenshots on bgg i look i'm looking at the rulebook but it has like a promotional like comic or something which i think is hilarious and you can find it on Amazon Japan. Um, it has like really funny faces and uh, some people playing the game and just kind of like this girl like struggling and then just being really happy. But at the end, she's like, oh my gosh, I scored nine negative points. And she has this like melting weird face. I don't know. Uh, you have to see it, see it to experience it. Uh, kind of a weird thing. 
but anyway, yeah, those are, sorry, I've been, this was quite a long trick-taking tirade of games that I am looking forward to playing uh, Scout some way in, someday in the distant future, unless I somehow decide to buy it for the expensive price that it is, and zing in the short term. You're just determined to make me like trick-taking games? <laughs> uh, yep. Basically, Trevor will continue to suffer through our experiments of playing weird trick-taking games. Yes, yes. Well, With, like, well I, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna change my attitude and I'm gonna like these games. Yep. Uh, we're transitioning into a phase where every game has to have an exclamation mark as well, so you have to amp up the excitement, I guess, when you come in. So you're just like zing, <laughs> scout. Anyway. <laughs> I was actually just thinking I I think I might like take a sharpie to a box or two and and we can revisit some games that I want to play again that that uh, maybe you didn't like as much the first time I'm thinking of playing Tekenu. No, oh, Tekenu uh, actually or with, like uh, with an exclamation mark. <laughs> or like indulgence. Indulgence. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh yeah, that'd be fun. Uh all right, so I've got a couple games on my horizon that are not trick-taking games. Big surprise. What? Uh, You're oh, not supposed to talk about trick-taking games in our podcast. All right, let me, I'm go, just kidding. Let me go grab some trick-taking games real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I just need exclamation marks. That's all I need. Yep, yep. Uh, so the first game I'm looking forward to is from 2019. This is Black Angel with exclamation mark at the end of it. This I is... I uh, played it. Spoilers. Uh, yeah, so I... <laughs> I'm putting it on my my looking forward to list because I've played it once solo and I want to play it with real people. But I will probably continue playing it solo because I think it's a cool game. Uh, this is designed by Sebastian uh, Dujardin, Javier George, and Alain Or Orban. And this is published by Pearl Games. It's basically uh, Twa married with Selenia in space but it is not twa. That's kind of like <laughs> that's kind of like the best way to describe it mechanically, I guess, to give it some reference points. Yeah, there's kind of a lot of stuff going on in the game. Unfortunately, I'd say because there's kind of the yeah. Anyway, it feels a little bit disjointed to me, but whatever. That's yeah. I'm not gonna dash your expectations <laughs> for awesome no, experiences using great. Black Angel. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it felt disjointed to me, but I, there is a lot going on. Um, it's a dice drafting game. Basically, you're just your um, robots trying to make the ship, the ship, uh, the Black Angel. A AI, run. I think. Yeah, you're, you're actually AI. controlling robots thematically. Yes. Yeah. So you're like sending robots out potentially into space. That's the Selenia part of the game where the ship is just flying on these hexes and that you just kind of leave them there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because they funny. can turn they can turn into points, or maybe <laughs> yeah. you don't want them to die because you want to put them to put out, you know, discover more alien race planets or something like that. Um, so they're basically at its core, it's a dice drafting game, um, and there's a couple of ways you can play. You can do sort of this space exploration type game where you're uh, sending little robots out on flying saucers out into space to discover alien planets and the different color of alien planets result in different types of benefits, kind of like in Selenia, the different colored islands give you different colored resources. Um, or you can play a sort of conveyor belt technology game where you just uh, 
acquire a bunch of technologies that can give you benefits by uh, you activate them by I thought was cool system by either placing cards of matching colors. So there's three different colors of technologies and you're drawing cards uh, throughout the game and you can lay these cards down by your technology board to activate tiles of the same color in the same row. Um, and, and so it's got a little bit of engine building, a little bit of a spatial puzzle game. Um, and ultimately you're just trying to get a lot of points. Um, I can see why people thought it, it is disjointed because there's a lot going on and it's, um, it's fairly, I mean, it's thematic, but it is kind of an abstract game, just a bunch of mechanisms in a box. I enjoyed it though. Um, I think I might be the only one <laughs> in our group, uh, maybe, no. um, at least the only one I know about. Oh, I, actually, Brandon hasn't played it yet. I think uh, I think I've got Brandon on my side to bring this one to the table someday soon. Um, but anyway, I think it's cool. It's reminiscent of Twa, but it is not Twa. So if you go into it expecting it to be Twa 2.0, you're going to be disappointed because other than dice drafting, it's not at all the same game. Yeah, we played a few games. I'm looking forward to, I guess, playing it with you and maybe seeing how that goes because I think uh, games were kind of volatile and they broke in very weird ways. Uh, broke down, I guess, in some very weird ways. Uh, the game has a way to end early, which happens. Kind of weird. Yeah, just kind of a weird game um, in general. Yeah, uh, and the things I think you're mentioning is that there are these invader or intruder cards which are basically uh thematically they're little alien bugs that kind of screw up the ship and cause it to take damage um which makes the the value of your dice decrease if you go to an action spot that is damaged and the game is has incentives to fix those spots because you get the debris which then those debris cubes become activation the activation mechanisms for the tech uh, tiles on your player board. So you're supposed to be incentivized to fix them, but it sounds like maybe when you played before, it was kind of everyone's just waiting for somebody else to fix the problem and then nobody fixes it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I guess, yeah, I'm... I should see what uh, how my future plays of it go. The first impression that everyone had was kind of like, yeah, it's okay, but not like spectacular or anything, which I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's like the best game ever and push come to shove. I probably would play Twa just because that's such an yeah. amazing game. That's also, I think, a lot of people in general, not just our group, was expecting Twa 2 and it's not Twa 2. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like I said, if you go in with that expectation, you're going to be disappointed because it is not Tuatu. It's it's just the same design group who took the core yep. mechanism of dice drafting with your personal dice draft district and and they turn it into a different game. Um, next game on my horizon, that I'm looking forward to trying out is called Cryo, and this Cryo. is a game. Yeah, I'm crying. Do you, do this you is cry. Yes, the game. cry. Actually, you might because the theme of the game is that you're something nefarious has happened to your spaceship, and you're kind of just like marooned on a frozen planet, and so you have to send drones out to salvage from your ship, and then 
compete with other crashed ships to dig into the ground so you don't freeze to death. That's kind of the theme of the game. Uh, but this comes from designers Tom Jolly and Luke Laurie, uh, published by Z-Man Games. Luke Laurie is involved with other games like Whistle Stop and Whistle Mountain. Uh, Tom Jolly, actually, I forgot what games he's done. Uh, oh, I Manhattan think Project, both... Energy Empire. No, he wasn't on uh, on uh, Whistle Mountain. Uh, he did. Uh, Tom Jolly did Manhattan Project, Energy Empire, Battle for Rokugan, Wiz War, Cave Troll. Uh, so he's he's done. Actually, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Just I'm just kind of yeah. scrolling through his his uh, yeah his profile at the moment. He's the source of weirdness and randomness in the game i guess <laughs> maybe <laughs> Could be. yeah i guess whistle stop was uh uh was scott caputo actually that was just scott caputo alone then scott caputo and um luke Laurie did whistle mountain uh was, was the designers there but anyway this is um it's a worker placement engine building game um where you're sending your drones to these different salvage sites to then get different types of resources. And there's a competition, I think, to, to uh, dig deeper into the, into the cave system to not freeze and not die. So there might be some type of area, area play game there i don't know a ton about how the mechanisms all work because i just recently started looking at this um but i it does look interesting and i'm i'm excited to play it the uh, i think we we're talking before the art is kind of reminiscent of um the art style from uh what's that game circadians first light yep where it's just kind of bland I think this artwork is better than Circadians, but it does kind of have a similar feel um, in terms of art. But no, this, it looks like yeah. a neat game. I don't know if you had any thoughts on this one or if you've looked at it yet. It looks kind of like retro car- cartoonish, and I'd say a little bit childish as well with these like weird colors and I don't know. Uh, it's fine. I don't know. Actually, I'm kind of curious if I ever get to play this game. It's probably not going to be me buying it because I'm not sure if I'm going to like it too much. It feels kind of, it looks really weird. Uh, just in general, uh, our local store got like five copies of it, which I don't know if it's going to really be that popular of a game. Um, it looks actually really complicated, but I looked at kind of a preview video of it, and it's not that complicated. It's basically kind of gather resources and resource conversion and some kind of engine building. Uh, looks very slow and methodical, and yeah, the theme is extremely weird. Basically, uh, you're there is an area majority game, yeah, in the lower left corner of the board, and you're delivering these pods in caves where they can continue living and then not get frozen basically so like i don't know it's just like this really bizarre theme where i guess there's a bunch of automated drones that that are going around and trying to store the pods in warm caves where they don't freeze to death um yeah, uh, the game technically does have a lot of things which I like, which actually it has multi-use cards as well. You can put them as like an engine thing, as an expansion thing for your resource tracks or as a goal or something, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, it has a lot of just on paper really good stuff. 
Uh, I just hope I actually like it if when I actually play it. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, I didn't hate Circadians. Actually, I thought I was not going to like it that much, but it was just fine. It was okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, we'll see not, how this is. To avoid any confusion, there's no uh, no link between the designers at all for for circadians and cryo but they just kind of evoke similar feelings uh just a note as well kind of a warning sign for me because sometimes that mechanic is kind of iffy as uh the game is controlled by how many times people reset so i think every every time someone resets you they get one of these tokens from the upper right corner if you look at the board uh so the game could end by someone resetting a lot so kind of variable player controlled game endings usually kind of a dangerous system for me not gonna lie but we'll see how it is in this game i didn't actually mind it in energy empire which kind of has the same thing going on so someone could be resetting a lot and kind of ending the game but it worked fine in that game so maybe it works fine in this as well but we'll see yeah it looks it's it looks mechanically interesting to me so i'm i'm interested to try it yeah uh we'll see if i end up buying it or if somebody ends up buying it and we find a way to play it but it does look it does look like it'll be a fun game to try out this actually would be an ideal game to, for me to try at SaltCon or something. Uh, that would be really high on the list. Yeah. Uh, so that's Cryo. Last game I just wanted to mention real quick is called Magna Roma. This is currently on Kickstarter uh, as of April 13th. It's got seven days left. This is designed by Matteo De Nardis, or Nardis uh, published by Arcona Games. The reason this one kind of stuck out to me is, uh, as we talked about earlier, we've been on a little bit of a tiling city building kick, and this is a game, a tile placement game about building Rome. Uh, from what I can see, you've uh, you're drawing and placing tiles, and um, it's there's some like kind of a cool. Uh, connection game where you're creating shapes uh, with with the borders and depending on what shape you create you know it might be a square it might be a hexagon it might be some sort of triangle type thing depending on the shape you create it that determines what benefit you're going to get from that placement and then there's also colors that uh, you might boost your action if you're placing like colors together Um, then you can build monuments on top of the city that you're building um, and you can there's certain uh, tracks it seems maybe tech tracks or something like that anyway it it seems like uh, maybe a fun tile placement game maybe not necessarily something uh groundbreakingly innovative but it seems fun enough to try so i'm i'm uh looking forward to maybe maybe there'll be a digital implementation on tabletopia or tabletop simulator or something to try out actually i think it's already on tabletopia anyway it uh looks like kind of a fun game to to try out sometime and that's magna Rome. Huh. Yeah, this looks interesting. Actually, previously they published Small Star Empires, which was kind of a re-implementation of uh that the pink penguin walking game where you pick up things gosh <laughs> uh something don't don't take my fish hey that's my fish i just looked it up sorry uh kind of a 
couldn't remember the name but uh yeah they they re-implemented hey that's my fish it doesn't even show it as a re-implementation but it's basically a more complicated hey that's my fish as small star empires uh funny thing is if you look they're from macedonia so uh, close to where i came from i guess so kind of interesting uh, i think this might be their first like larger game so i kind of wonder first of all if it's good second of all if i'm gonna like it but yeah i'd, I'd be interested in uh trying this yeah looks looks interesting yeah it, it looks like it could be fun to play it's definitely not got me interested to the point where i'm looking at backing it um i'm actually trying to figure out how much is the the pledge <laughs> yeah uh they had a, a larger game called galactic warlords i guess i completely missed it in 2018 with a greek designer so it makes sense because it's local there uh but yeah that actually looks kind of complicated so maybe it's their second large game yeah yep. it looks like a pledge is about uh the standard for the standard game it's like 60 dollars, and the deluxe game it's like 80 bucks so not insanely overpriced but if this game becomes popular and is available in distribution i'll you could get it for less than that probably which is probably what i would end up doing but i'd, I'd like to try it sometime yep cool all right well that's uh that's all i've got on my horizon anything else you wanted to bring up nope that's it all right everyone thanks for listening in uh this has been cards and cubes and we will see you all in a couple of weeks Cards and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, Cards and Cubes podcast at gmail.com or visit our website www.cardsandcubes.com we'd like to thank kirsten adams for designing our logo find more of kirsten's art on instagram at cat coffee that's k-a-t-c-o-f-f-e-e we'd also like to thank Lindsay hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will turn in a couple of weeks